You are listening to episode 27 of Board Game Cinema. In this episode, we take a look at prisons as we watch the American classic film Cool Hand Luke and then play a board game also set in a prison, Lockup. So grab your popcorn, grab your dice, and let's dive in. Good morning, good evening, good night. You're listening to Board Game Cinema. My name is Ryan, and I'm with my dedicated co-host, the wonderful Brooks Webb. How are you doing, Brooks? I'm doing well. How about you, Ryan? Other than this gas shortage situation <laughs> where I can't find gasoline to power my motor vehicle, other than that, I'm doing okay. Yeah. But, uh, I'm just shocked that you still chose to drive over here yeah. to do this when you don't have any gas to get home. Well, <laughs> hopefully I have enough to get home. If not, then... uh. I'll just be like a long-term house guest. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's see. So the theme of this show is, I guess, is jails, prisons. Yeah. Prison um, Incarceration, games. prison games, prison movies. Have you ever been to prison? No, I have not. Okay. Have you? No, I have not. So I have been to I a, I've been yeah, to I a think prison. I've, I think I've heard that uh, you were almost... Incarcerated at one point, but no, I've been to. My father used to work at a um, maximum security prison in the northern DC area, and I've like been to a prison like the outside of the prison, like to like pick them up from work and stuff like that. But I've never been like inside a prison or jail. Yeah, Um, I did almost get put in jail one time for a speeding ticket because I didn't have enough money to pay the court costs. (laughs) But I used my rapid talking (laughs) to like. Talk the uh, bailiff, I guess is the appropriate term, to let me go cast a check that I had and then come back and pay the court costs because uh, at that time, me and my wife, we only had one car and I had the car and it was way in the middle of BFE, like North Carolina. So I would have just been sitting in there with nobody to come get me or get the pay the court costs. So I think it was like $65 or something. Yeah. And him just like letting you leave to go cash a check. That sounds, that sounds right. What that sounds like. The way things are done today. So what happened was I got a speeding ticket and it was in between here and like Virginia. It was like somewhere on North Carolina in the middle of nowhere. And when I was going back to visit my parents and I had to go back to the court to like, you know, contest the ticket or whatever. I think I was asking for like a prayer for judgment. I think if I remember correctly. And uh, which I, I think I got, I think they gave it to me and it like didn't go on my insurance, but I had to pay the fine. And I knew the ticket said the fine was like X dollars, like, I don't know, $35 or whatever it was. And I had the $35, but I didn't have any other money. So when I went up there, you know, we talked to the DA and I was like, you know, no contendary or whatever. And they were like, okay, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, just go pay the court costs. So the bailiff leads me to this window and I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, (laughs) you got to pay the court costs. And I was like, yeah, like the $35? He was like, no, there's additional fees. And I was like, oh. Well, I only have, I literally have $35. And he was like, oh man, like what's going on? I thought you had the money and like got kind of ill. He took me back before the judge and the judge was like, I thought you said you had the money. And I was like, I have the $35, but I don't have these court costs. Like I didn't know anything about it because I'm an idiot. And uh, he was like, well, um, you're going to have to call, get somebody to come down and bring it up here. Otherwise you're going to have to do the time. Cause I guess instead of paying, you can like stay in jail do the time served or whatever. Yeah. And so they took me to like a holding area 
and they like they open the door and they're like you know they're like okay like you're in jail now kind of thing <laughs> and i had this like moment where i swiveled around to the bailiff and i was like excuse me sir <laughs> i have this paycheck here and on my way into town i happened to notice you guys had a fine food lion <laughs> I guarantee you that that food line will cash this paycheck, in which time I'll be able to come back and present this court cost, therefore preventing me from being incarcerated and wasting any more of your time. And he was like this like old bailiff guy, and he was like, ha, 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 ha. One thing about you white boys, you sure do start talking fast when you're getting ready to get locked up. And I was like, is that a yes? And he was like, yeah, you can go, but you have to come back. Like, you have to come back. And I was like, I'm not in any interest of getting in further trouble. So I went to the food line. And, of course, they didn't want to cash my check. <laughs> so I had to explain the whole, like, rigmarole to her, the lady there. And, uh, you know, I'll tell her, like, hey, this is a matter of, like, uh, my freedom. You know, my liberty is at stake. Like, you know, the most precious of all things. Like, my liberty. Right. Like, Yours. you are an obstacle against me <laughs> walking into the earth as a free man. Food line employee, like you're stopping me from going home and seeing my wife and lovely child. Your refusal to cash this clearly good paycheck. And uh, eventually she came around, saw the error of her ways, cashed my paycheck, and I went back and paid the bailiff and prevented any further incarceration. That was the second time where I almost got incarcerated for... The second time? I've only heard the story of this first time. So the first, this other time. Or I guess the, yeah, the second original, time. The original yeah. run-in with Johnny Law. And also, how did you manage to talk your way out of that with two different people <laughs> in two scenarios where it doesn't seem like anybody else would be able to get out of that? I was incentivized. <laughs> <laughs> the first time, uh, I used to live with this kid uh, named Brian in this house. It was like five of us. And... He had one of these, like, you know, Japanese Kawasaki, like, crotch rocket motorcycles, you know? Yeah. So he was constantly, like, getting speeding tickets, like, everywhere. And uh, there was one time he had to go to court for the speeding ticket. And <laughs> he was had plans because he was in a band that I live with. This guy's were in this band. And they were going to New York to record this, like, record. So he was like, hey, can you go to court for me? When they call my name, just say, you know, present. And then ask for a continuance. Like, I've asked for like, it like four times. It'll be fine. So I'm like, are you sure? Like, this sounds like fishy, but I'm, you know, trying to be a good roommate, housemate. <laughs> so I go to court. It's in Greensboro. I go to court. They show up. They call his name, you know, Brian, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, present. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> they were like, Okay, uh, everybody waits. I'm waiting my turn. And then he was, like, really, you know, up, up close, like, up front. They call him up there, and uh, the DA or whoever, the person, whatever they are, is there, the prosecutor or whatever. And I'm like, I'd like to, I'd like to get a continuance. And the judge hears that and is like, there's no continuances today. We're wrapping all these cases up. I'm getting all this stuff off my docket. There's no continuances. So then I looked at the, <laughs> the prosecutor, and I was like, uh, actually, I'm not him. <laughs> so she gave me this incredulous look of like, uh, you literally just said in court, present, when his name was called, <laughs> clearly you're him. Yeah. But that was easily like, you know, simplified because I just produced my ID. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, hey, he's my roommate. He had a like uh, family emergency. He had to like leave mm -hmm. town. I just wanted to come and, you know, ask for a continuance. Album. Yeah. So the judge was like, well, tell your friend. That, you know, there's a warrant out for his arrest for failure to appear. 
at which you know and then he was like and i was like okay yes sir and i was trying to get out of there well the bailiff interpreted that as you're under arrest for failure to appear <laughs> meaning me meaning me you're there so he grabbed me by my elbow and it's like leading me away and i'm like vehemently protesting like hey, hey, hey there's a big mistake there's a misunderstanding so sure we, you hear went, that every we day. left out of the courtroom uh, I, t- I talked him into like bringing me back. So I went back before the judge and I literally said like, can you tell the bailiff that I'm not incarcerated? And he was like, yeah, you're, you get out of here. Like tell your friend. And so then I skedaddled. What? But that was another time <laughs> where like I was this close to uh, uh, incarceration for a crime I did not commit. Yeah. I would have been the, I would have been the, you know, the victim of like <laughs> injustice. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Oh, wow. But other the, than that, never, uh, no real brushes with the law. Um, managed to stay out of, you know, any type of trouble. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think some of that has to do with the fact that my father did work in the penal system, and I just kind of always had like heard a lot of horror stories about like how terrible it was. Oh, I'm sure. So I try to avoid any like behavior that would. Um, yeah lead me astray yeah end up like you know with you in jail in prison yeah, yeah nobody wants that or jail yeah but yeah man well you've had two close calls i've had zero um i have visited a prison before alcatraz mm. i went there when i was a nice. kid that was fun yeah, I've had um, two close calls. You've had zero. The reason yeah. why is because my close calls are a complete stupidity. Like, yeah, I was gonna say like who would ever agree to go to court for their friend and wow. claim that you're that person? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you were young. I assume this wasn't oh, like yeah. last week. I was like eighteen yeah. or nineteen, probably eighteen. Yeah. yeah, you didn't know any better. Um. Yeah, just the way he presented it to me in such a nonchalant way. It's not a big deal. It's like a say you're me. It's not yeah. a murder. Like, what are you worried about? Like, just go there and say, "Can I get a continuance?" And they'll say yes, and then just leave. I can't imagine doing that. Like, I I can't imagine what was like how fast my heart would be pounding in that moment when they call this guy's name and I stand up and I'm like, "Present." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of people there, and they call a lot of names, yeah. so it didn't seem like that big of a deal, and I I did know with certainty, like, I wasn't this person, <laughs> so, like, and I had an ID, so I was pretty sure I could, like, get out of any real yeah. trouble. Um, what I don't understand is they didn't ID you when you came in, like, there was no process no. of IDing you no. to say, like, you are this guy. No, didn't say anything like that. I guess if they had actually tried to process you to like put you in prison for for something that would have come I mean, up. I mean, I assume hopefully. so, Brooks. But like, let me ask you a question that would kind of throws logic in the face of that argument. So your argument is kind of like, so if you go to court, you say you're this person, they find you guilty, they take you to jail. During the booking process, they'll ID you to make sure you're really that person. <laughs> My counter argument is, how many idiots are going to go to court, and get tried and convicted when yeah. they're not really that person? Hey. You know, yeah, like, I don't know. Like they just like Maybe you pay somebody enough money, yeah. pay some homeless guy enough money right. to go like. So that's like a Vincent Gallo Buffalo '66 situation, mm. right? He owes somebody money, and he has to go to jail for them on their behalf. Like, <laughs> uh, I confess, I did the crime. It's like what? You weren't even in town. I did it. Okay, <laughs> they put him in prison. Have you ever seen that movie? I have. Yeah, it's been a long it's time really, though. Yeah, it's one I of my favorite yeah. comedies. It's like so incredibly weird that uh. 
I think there's like five people maybe that like it, and I'm one of five people. I don't know. It's not a movie that's talked about a lot. I know Vincent Gallo is pretty much like universally hated. Is that uh, Christina Ricci? Christina Ricci, yeah. yep. It's like them two. Um, but anyway, the, the, the protagonist of the film that we're going to talk about today is another man who had you know, some brushes with the law, or at least one brush with the law um, that led to... Uh, incarceration in a Florida chain gang. And that man is Paul Newman playing Lucas Jackson, AKA cool hand Luke. And that's the name of the movie that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so I guess first and foremost, did you watch the movie? Yes. <laughs> so cool hand Luke is a 1967 film directed by Stuart Rosenberg, starring Paul Newman and George Kennedy in an Oscar winning performance. Um, the movie is based on a novel by Don Pierce uh, of the same name, Cool Hand Luke, that came out just two years before, 1965. And Don Pierce himself had been a prisoner in the Florida penal system uh, and had worked on a chain gang, I believe. Um, so this movie was based um, in part upon that experience. Um, but what did you think about the movie Cool Hand Luke? Had you seen it before you watched it recently or no? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it a long time ago, um, to the point that I only remembered like one scene from the movie, uh, which is the egg scene, yeah. which I think if anybody's seen this movie, they remember that. But uh, yeah, so then I watched it again recently, and I it really stood out as a phenomenal film. Like, I thought it was an incredible movie, um, and I was kind of shocked that I didn't remember more of it. Um, from having seen it like so many years ago, um, but yeah, I was I was really impressed with it. Yeah, I think it would I think it would have to be considered like an American classic. Yeah. Um, it's a movie that I would say any film goer, like cinephile, or especially a cinephile of like American films, it's definitely one you have to see. It has to be in your you know quiver of movies you've seen because it's a you know, it's a, just an amazing performance by Paul Newman, by the entire cast. Everybody, really, yeah. an incredible cast. Incredible cast. You watch it today and you you notice all these faces that have been in all these movies yeah. over the years. A very young Harry Dean Stanton yeah. like, playing the banjo and singing. Yeah. A very, very young Dennis Hopper playing a mentally ill prisoner. Um, so, yeah, there's lots lots of, uh, you know, like people that, used, like you said, that went on to have amazing careers that you know use this movie as a springboard to bigger and better things um but essentially so let's talk about the story of cool hand luke the story of cool hand luke is about a guy and i guess we'll give a spoiler warning here if you haven't seen the movie it came out more than 50 years ago do yourself a favor and go check it out it's i know you're thinking like this is like some prison movie i'm not you know it's like what i'm not interested in prison movies or what's again it's really a movie about a, a man's struggle against authority, and it really transcends like a prison movie genre. It's a movie sort of akin to like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest about this man that's just caught up in this insane bureaucracy, this like soul-crushing authoritarian like system, and his un in his inability to like comply. Like he just has he just his nature is that he can't comply with like the rules, so you know, just go and check it out. But for you know everybody else that's seen it that wants to hear a discussion of the film, um, just as a reminder, the movie is about uh, Luke Jackson. He gets Paul Newman. He gets arrested for cutting the heads off of... Parking meters. Parking meters. 
um, which is a very sort of silly crime, but clearly he's drunk and you know, he's not even trying to get away. He basically takes the parking meters, the money part and just sets it up on the curb. He's just, yeah, he's not like robbing them or anything. Right. He's not taking the money. He just gets arrested for malicious destruction of property. And later in the movie, when they ask him like, why did he do that? He says that he was like settling a score. Yeah. So it's yeah. like he's settling a score against like the U.S. government or against authority. Um, we do know from the movie that he was like a World War II because the movie takes place in the early fifties. He was a World War II veteran and he was a um, you know very decorated World War II veteran. He had gotten a purple, uh, two Purple Hearts, a Bronze Star, a Silver Star, and he had risen to the rank of sergeant. However, something had happened in his military career that when he left the the army, he was back down to private. Yeah. So clearly, he had some issues with like authority, even in in that, in that you know career um, that led him to to leave. I guess once the war was over, um, but he's just a person that he's a very you know charming, very smart like person, but he just can't like go along with like uh, he can't conform. And he's just constantly having to challenge like any type of like authority, and that um, is sort of his like downfall. Kind of leads to like his, you know, because you kind of know early in the movie, you get the sense that like it's not gonna go well. It has yeah. like a foreboding type, you know, vibe to it, um, where you just feel like, wow, this isn't gonna end well for him, and you know that that that's played out, but. Um, what did you think about like Paul Newman's performance as Cool Hand Luke and also like the Luke Jackson character itself? Like, what did you think about that part of the movie? I mean, yeah, I, I thought he was, he was, uh, great as Cool Hand Luke. Uh, like you said, he, he doesn't like authority, but at the same time, him playing this role, it's not like he never really seems to be uncomfortable or out of place. Even he doesn't seem like he's in a situation where he's, where he doesn't want to be there. Obviously, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to be in prison, but it's like he makes the most of it. He makes the most of any si situation he's in. He doesn't like authority. He doesn't like rules. But at the same time, it's not like he gets in and he starts fights and stuff like no, that. No, not at all. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. he gets in and, you know, he, he makes little comments about, like, all of the rules and the, the bunkhouse. Um, you know, he makes a little comment about like, yeah, you know, you'll you'll spend a night in the in isolation or mm -hmm. the hole or whatever they call it. Um, and the guy's like, you're not going to be a problem, are you? He's like, no, no, he's yeah. not going to be a problem. And really, he's not a problem until they put him in isolation for a number of days. Yeah. And then when he comes out, he really becomes a problem for the prison itself. Now, in the prison, within like the the people in the prison. He doesn't like the authority of the like um, drag line, who's kind of mm -hmm. like in charge in the bunkhouse, who like leads the gang. He doesn't like that authority either. Um, but regardless, he he did a phenomenal job of playing this role of keeping his cool the entire movie. I would say, I don't know that there's a single a single scene in the movie where he like actually loses his cool over anything. Yeah, I guess the only time I'd say that is when he like has like the mental breakdown and he kind of like oh, grabs yeah. the guys by the yep. legs and yeah, because they like break him through torture essentially. Yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, you know, the, when when he we don't really know sort of why he's doing doing what he did, um, in terms of chopping those <laughs> those parking meters off. We don't sort of know like it, clearly he was you know inebriated and he was lashing out against the government. I guess the federal government maybe. 
when he shows up in in prison in this Florida, you know, chain gang, um, like you said, you know, at first he's just there, you know, he says he's not going to be a hard case. He's just going to do his time. He has two years that he's going to do that. And it's definitely like a grueling, like horrific, like environment where you got to just like work from, you know, 4 a.m. to like, you know, dark and just like a dog. And then I think they have like a day and a half off or whatever Sunday I think yeah. they get off. Like half a day Saturday and Sunday, they get to like not work all day <laughs> from morning to night. But he doesn't lash. He doesn't try to escape. Right. Until after they unjustly put him in the box. Right. His mother dies, and in like a proactive uh, like method measure, they put him in the box to prevent him from trying to escape to go to the funeral, and. That I think he just finds like so unjust that after that time he's like done with like the whole like system of like you know yeah. he just wants to escape. I mean yeah. the rest of the movie is just continual like yeah. escape attempts, you know? constant and attempts. I thought it was interesting when uh, the one guard is like putting them in the box and he can tell he feels bad about it because he hadn't done anything and his mom just died and like yeah. he was like I'll say a prayer for your mom tonight, Luke. Uh, he says, you can't blame me. You know, it's just a job. You yeah. got to understand that. You got to appreciate that. And then Luke tells him, no, like saying it's your job doesn't make it right. Right. And like he just is so oppressed by these like inane rules, which the movie has one of the most classic scenes of like insane, inane, nonsensical, obtuse rules where he like digs the hole and he gets a conjuration order to fill it back. Yeah. Yeah. Dig the hole. That's fill tough it back. to watch. It's so tough yeah. to watch, and you know that's what leads to his like his break. Well, what we think is his breaking point, although you know later he still tries to escape yeah. again. But then when he's asked about it, he says like I didn't, I wasn't faking. Like I, you know, I really, I really broke. Um, but yeah, the the thing about the movie that makes it so cool is that he's like a real inspiration to the other prisoners without trying to be an inspiration. Essentially, like. You know, he earns their respect by fighting Dragline, um, who's a much bigger man, and he won't, like, quit. Like, yeah. he literally says, like, you'll have, to, you'll have to kill me. Yeah, you'll have to kill me. And yeah. eventually Dragline, like, at first everyone's, like, so enthusiastic, like, yeah, yeah, yeah fight, the yeah, fight. Yeah. But then when it just becomes this merciless beating to, like, near death... Everybody's kind of like turning their back and like walking away, yeah, and the people crowd are like disgusted by it, right? Yeah. It's like a, this is like a horrific thing. Yeah. It's a lopsided, one-sided You're just affair. Like beating the hell out of this and guy, and he won't give up, and he yeah. just like keeps getting up, and they keep helping him up, and then like even when he's like on his knees, he's trying to fight, and like eventually, you know, um, George Kennedy, he just is like, uh, I, I'm like, I'm yeah. not gonna kill this yeah. guy. My he just walks hand. away. He just walks yeah. away, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, that kind of earns the respect. And then later when they're playing cards, when he's willing to like bet all the money he has and what ends up being a, just a bluff on nothing. Yeah. That's how he earns the name cool hand Luke. Cause he says, you know, sometimes nothing's a real cool hand. And you know, then that respect just grows and grows and grows due to like his like acts of um, defiance, you know, these small acts of defiance, like they give him that job to pave the road. Yeah, and he's just like, hey, what happens if we like finish paving yeah. the road before the day's over? It's supposed to take us all day. What if we just work so hard 
that yeah. you know and it almost like humiliates the guards by the fact they like pave the road with like two hours left in their day by just working so hard and then you know he does like uh tell that guy the man with no eyes is one of the guards that shoots their owl snake he tells them is like you sure can shoot yeah. <laughs> Stuff like, that. Yeah. like you forgot your walking stick yeah and like it kind of in a weird way kind of like is making fun of him but like not in any like um you know outwardly it's, it's like passive aggressive yeah almost, yeah yeah you know? yeah so like they see these like acts of like you know, defiance both first against, you know, Dragline, who becomes his closest companion, closest compatriot, and then in small ways, like, you know, before his escape attempts, through like working really hard or um, doing the egg thing. So the egg yeah. thing was a situation where they were super, like, it was stifling heat, people were getting on each other. There was like nothing for them, you know, the endless monotony of just work and work and work. And he had this idea that everybody just went along with, which is great about Luke is like, he has an idea and then everybody goes along with it. Like he has an idea that like, let's work real hard and finish the road. Well, they're like, goes along with yeah, it. yeah. The, the road doesn't fit into this, but they're like obsessed with gambling mm-hmm. in prison, you know? So any opportunity to have some bet, yeah. they're on it. Baba Lou got a bet over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he runs over. He comes over and like pats him on the head. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dean, um, um, yeah. Uh, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Yeah. yeah. And the guy, the guy with the glasses, I don't know who that is, but he also has like this great character that he's the one who's always like, yeah, we got a bet over here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know his character's name, but he was great. And it's great how the director is able to give all these characters their own unique personalities. And like, where you like really care for those characters. Yep. Um, But it's also interesting, and this is a side tangent, but it's also interesting how in a lot of prison movies and prison stuff, especially prison movies that show a long period of time, like Cool Hand Luke is like a longer period of time, there is some notion of a cycle of release. So usually you see somebody like getting Get released out. or something. Yeah. But in this movie, it's like it's like almost this smothering atmosphere where like it just feels like these people are just in there forever. Although they're not, you know, it, the beginning of the movie, the captain does says, um, we have some two years. That's not bad. We have some men in here for 20, 25 years, you know? So clearly there's some long timers in there, but you would assume that, you know, most of them aren't going to be in there like their whole life. I wouldn't think, but you don't ever see anybody leave like throughout the entire course of the movie. And I thought that was interesting because it kind of bucks one of the conventions of like a lot of other prison, long-term prison movies, not like the prison escape movie. The guy shows up and they escape, but like a longer term type yeah. prison movie. But yeah. Yeah. Because that's usually like, that's, with most prison movies, I feel like the story is somebody goes to prison and then how do they get out? Like, do, yeah. is it that they do their time and the story is them doing American their time? History and then X, the, the end of right? it is, yeah, them getting out and they're reformed or whatever it might be. But mm. that wasn't the case with this necessarily. So <clears throat> these acts of defiance lead Luke to be like the egg thing. So like you said, the egg thing is like the most famous scene in the movie. That probably with also the line of what we have here is a failure to yeah. communicate, which is yeah. like super quotable line. I think Absolutely. a lot of people know that line, but don't even know what movie it's yeah. from. Yeah. Um, that, those, those two scenes, um, are very memorable, but like in the egg thing, you know, when you watch that scene, when he eats the 50 eggs and then they're all like exuberant and they're all excited, you know, it serves the purpose of like unifying the camp around the prisoners around like something, giving them something to like look forward to. I think so much life, it's like having something like positive to look forward to. 
and you know it gave them something to like focus on like he was like training and everybody was like yeah. all, like you know watching what he would eat and they would watch he's, like him. running around yeah. he's like doing laps <laughs> yeah he's, like and, stretching his stomach yeah. out right stretching his stomach and yeah. they rub his stomach and stuff but at the end of it like he's laying on the table because he's laying yeah. on the table and he's got his arms you know yep. out and it's so much the messiah like, absolutely you know? and there's so many things in the movie that um are kind of like quoting cool hand luke as like this messiah like he's you know leading these these men and like they're like his disciples almost even like you know i you could make the argument and this isn't my thinking but um you know he eats the 50 eggs and like the 50 eggs could represent like the 50 prisoners because mm. there's 50 they say many many times that there's 50 prisoners like 50 men accounted for 49 men, one in the box, like many times. Oh, yeah, you know? that's 49, right. That's right. 48 men, one in the box, one in the bush. 48 men, one in the box, one in the bush. They yeah, feedback. yeah. So there's 50 eggs and there's 50 prisoners, and you could say that he's almost like, you know, um, eating in their sin or something, like taking their, you know. He definitely carries around a lot of the weight of the camp, I think. And yeah. That's why when he breaks down, they all are so disheartened. They all, like, turn their backs and, like, you know, like... Yeah. And, again, it's a very Masonic thing in that, like, you know, Jesus, like, all his apostles turn their backs on him. And, like, he uh, literally says, he's, like, when he comes in, he's all beaten. It's like, you know, where are you now? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's... I mean, it's hard. I don't know that I called all that the first time I watched this. Yeah. Which would have been, like, 15, 20 years ago. But, um... Yeah, I definitely picked up on all of that this time around. And it, if you watch the movie thinking about it in that way, you definitely see a lot more of those references to him being this Messiah figure. Um, his dad abandoned him as a child. Yeah, He's talking to his mom. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't know his dad. Um, and and then just like at the end when he's in the church and he's he's talking to God, which he says earlier in the movie that, he doesn't believe in God, or it, maybe it's not that he doesn't believe in God, but he's not religious. Yeah, so I would mean I would argue that in the movie, his portrayal in the movie, he's like an atheist. Yeah. Because the scene where it's raining and thundering and lightning, yeah, that's, yep. they all run in the truck. He stands out in the road and essentially, you know, yells at God, kind of like um, Lieutenant Dan in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. He like yeah, has a conversation right. with God, like. If you're real, you know, strike me down. Like, show me that you're real, you know. And at the end, he's like, "I'm just a man standing in the rain." And then the one prison guard, um, who kind of is nicer than the rest, he tells him like, "How's a? Cl- I heard you don't believe in God, Luke. How's a clean cut man like you not believe in God or whatever?" And yeah. like, and then at the end of the movie, you know, he's again asking. He's like calling out to an unanswering God. I could be wrong, but I think the movie. At least the way that I interpret it is that he is an atheist or someone that's looking for faith but t- can't believe, like can't has seen so much in the world and feels like, you know, it's not making sense to him. And he's like looking, he's hoping that there's a God. And then when he's calling out in the church and then the cops show up, he's like, that's your answer, old man. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. You know, like, yep. So I think there's a lot of religious overtones to the movie. I don't know if all of them are intentional or if people just, you know, that's the argument that we always have. Like, are people reading too much into it? But that's what I like about movies, right? Yeah. You can come yeah. away with it whatever you want to, right? That's the purpose of art, yep. right? It's how someone sees the world. And it. you can interpret how you see the world <laughs> on top of that, right? Yep. But um, I think there's limits to that where eventually it gets outlandish. But I think the most part, <clears throat> you know, 
I don't think it's a stretch to say there's a lot of religious overtones in the movie Cool Hand Luke. They, there's clearly Messiah imagery. Yeah, you can't you can't deny the scene of him laying on the table after he eats the fifty eggs. Yeah, isn't like Christ on the cross. Yeah. You can't say that that's not what that is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's clearly and intentionally yeah. like that. Um, and then the movie, you know, it has a sad ending, but at the end of it, again, back to the Messiah theme. Once he does die, um, back at the camp, the people that had sort of turned their backs on him, they taped his picture back up that they had of him, and, like, they're sitting around telling stories about him, and, like, kind of like how the apostles went out into the world and told stories about their leader, right, that had fallen. So they kind of do the same thing in this movie. Like, they're telling, you know, stories about, like, Luke, you remember that time Luke did this? Or you remember when he ate those 50 eggs? And so they clearly have, like, an impact, like, on their life. But it's it's just a cool movie about a non-conforming man that like can't just by his nature like just go along to get along. Like even the smallest things, if they don't make sense to him, if he doesn't think they're right, he has to like do what's right and like take it in a really stoic manner. Just like take the beating, take the abuse. He doesn't like uh, even like say much. Like no, for he the doesn't. First, like 15 minutes of the movie. He doesn't really say much yeah. at all. Like he just kind of smiles and like yeah. smirks here and there. Um, but yet he's through his actions, he's able to like find like a following. Um, so yeah, I think it's an American classic. When I, people talk about prison movies, you know, I think one of the movies that always comes to their mind like right away is like Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Right? Yep. Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile. You know. Yeah. And those are great movies. I'm not criticizing them in any way. But when I think of prison movies. You know, the one that comes to my mind, I think, is this movie. Like, you said before, like, you saw it maybe 15 or 20 years ago. You know, it's weird, like, things you remember. So, I distinctly remember, I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, and on Channel 20, which is, like, a local channel in the D.C. area, this movie was coming on at, like, 9 at night. And I asked my parents, I was like, oh, I want to see this movie. I saw a commercial for it. I was like, oh, I want to see this movie. It looks cool. Can I watch it? And my mom was like, no, it's like up too late and that's not appropriate for you, blah, blah, blah. And my dad, of course, my dad was like, you can watch it. Just watch it. It's a good movie. (laughs) And I remember watching it and being like, wow, this is like, I I get, I didn't understand all the themes that was happening in the movie. Right. But I got like, wow, this is like a guy that like, you know, he's going against the system. Yeah. Like it's like anti-authoritarian, anti-hero. This isn't like other movies where the hero is like this, you know, knight in shining armor. This is like a real complex like character and I just really liked the movie and I've really liked it like my whole life. So yeah. um, for me, when I think of prison movies, I think of this and maybe like um, Stalag 17, just because that's Billy Wilder, who's like the greatest director of all time. But we'll talk about him <laughs> in a later episode, maybe. Um, but yeah, Cool and Luke, it's up there in the, you know, the, the, my top, like not my top prison movies, just like my top movies. It's definitely up there, you know, somewhere near the top because just of the message that it has and like how much you like, root for him and i've seen the movie a dozen times i know what's going to happen in the movie but yet every time i'm still like just yearning for him to escape yeah you know, like yearning yeah. for him to like get away yeah and you know of course he never does just like you know kind of uh i guess the message being like we're all kind of trapped in this machinery that is society that has these rules and laws and obligations and regulations and some of them making sense and some of them not but we have to yeah. like abide by them but uh, did you want to say anything else? I've talked like 95% of the time. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, you definitely have more um, more to share about this movie. Uh, but 
I will say that one thing that I noticed while watching it is just, in my opinion, how well it was shot. Like, the cinematography of the movie was incredible. Like, for... And, you know, I say, like, oh, for 1967... Yeah. Um, it had this, like, realistic feel to it that I don't feel like I've seen in a lot of older movies. Almost like a documentary style. Some of it, yeah. And they're, like, working on the yeah. chain gang. Yeah, but then just some of the shots with, like, the the guard, like, the man with no eyes. Yeah. Like, some of the shots where it's, like, you're, you're looking, the shot is just on his sunglasses that are mm-hmm. reflective, and in both frames you see like a different image right like that's that was pretty impressive yeah there's some um, nice shots the, like yeah there's some really cool shots like that uh but yeah just it, in general i thought it was it was really well shot and i really enjoyed that aspect of it like the cinematography always plays a big role in a movie for me and it definitely stood out for this one yeah there's a shot when he like has his breakdown and it's nighttime but the man with no eyes is there but he's leaned back, so you don't see his face at all. It's totally in the shadows. But he has his sunglasses in his pocket, and both lenses of the sunglasses are reflecting like a bright light. And it's almost like the eyes of the devil or something. Like it's super yeah. like creepy. Yeah. And, like that. He kind of you know, plays that kind of role. Like if you were to say Cool Hand Luke is the right. Christ role, he is like the devil role in the movie. Yeah, he's definitely a, a bad man that never yeah. says like barely anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just wants to shoot. I think he has turtles. one line in the movie. Um, get my gun Luke, get my rifle <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah. yeah. most of the time he doesn't even say that he just holds up his right. like walking stick and the yeah. guy brings the rifle <laughs> yeah so yeah i don't i think it's a movie that um you know it's 50 years right it's yeah it's been like 50 yeah. years longer or whatever but um i think it's an american classic that'll that'll stick around to stand the test of time so if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time definitely give it a give it a watch um, and then I guess we'll be back to talk about a board game that you can play after watching Cool Hand Luke, because this week on Board Game Cinema, we're all about the prison life. And we're back. So... The the movie Cool Hand Luke is a movie about prisoners, and we're going to talk about a game which you play prisoners in a prison. Um, But you're unlike a lot of you know what you think. I I guess what I kind of thought about like a prison board game, it would be like a game where you like try to escape. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I thought this was. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't like that at all. It's instead a game where you're trying to you're part of like every player is like part of a gang. And of uh, fantastical creatures like trolls and and like uh, bugbears and kobolds. They're like yeah, reptile men and weird, insect men. Yeah, fantasy. I think creatures. from like you know D and D like land yeah. type stuff. Um, they're that are in this prison and they're trying to build up their infamy um, so that th- that way that when the king comes on a yearly visit, he picks the baddest gang to leave the prison and travel to go fight in this like arena in this Coliseum. And your gang feels like they could use that opportunity to leave the prison to like escape. 
And so... Which that's all a really cool part of the flavor text of this game, but it's not in the game not whatsoever. Not in the game whatsoever, yeah. But it sounds like a really cool part of a game well, I guess that may exist at some point. I guess they're trying to say, like, why you would want... I guess they're trying to just give you a reason to, like... So you're completely correct. It's just, like, two paragraphs of flavor text in the beginning of the rule book. But I guess they're trying to give you reasons as to, like, why you're trying to build up this infamy. Yeah. Like, why you're trying to be the toughest gang in the prison. Yeah. I mean... It's a game that could easily be reskinned into like a real, like rethemed into like a real prison movie yeah. <laughs> because it's all about like these prison gangs like trying to get power in the prison or whatever. Like, um, I don't even remember. Like, what are some of the places that you could go? Do you even remember uh, any the of them? infirmary where you uh, could get more power? You could hire goons. You could go to the sewer. How, the sewer. Where you try to find uh, scraps. Scrap, yeah. And then the iron. You get iron. That was like a resource. Um, oh no, the infirmary was where you get the blue potions. Potions, yeah. yeah it's potion, iron, and There's scrap. The yard, like the exercise the yard, yard exercise is where you yard. get power because you're like getting stronger for your enforcer. You're getting yep. stronger. Yeah. But I guess we should say that essentially the game is a worker placement game that has like a little bit of an element of like territory control. What I mean by that is when you put your workers out, they're numbered like one through nine or one through eight or something, and whoever has the highest um, powered workers there, they get the, um, take the action of the space, you know, get resources or whatever, but they get a higher. So like, let's say you go to a space, you're the most powerful person there. You get three resources. And then the second most gets like one, right? Yeah. The second most power. And if you're last, you get nothing. You might, in some of the spaces you get and nothing. So, yeah. Some of them you still get like yeah. something, but a lot of them you get nothing. And you can like hire more like goons, like which give you, um, you know, it helps it to strengthen the influence of the, the the gang. Yeah, they give you, well, they give you... Resources, yeah, a lot of times. Resources, or points at the end of the game. Set collection. Set collection. So, like, depending upon yeah. which type of goon you go for, if you go for the dwarves, they give you points at the end of the game. If you go for the cultists, they give you points based on the number of items that you have. So, yeah. I guess a lot of it is, like, end-of-game scoring, but they also, some of them give you... Um, immediate you know, res- Yeah, resources yeah. immediately. Yeah. Um, so there's this idea where you are going places, you're getting these items so that you can like, I'm uh, getting your resources so that you can get items. The items give you like end of games, like give you in game scoring, like during the game, you like can score like big points and they also can give you other, you know, things. Um, and th- they can interact with like other cards. So at the beginning of the game, you set out like an instant reward, an end of game reward, and like a leader reward. So wh- whoever has the most X, right? There's different ones you choose from to like help with replayability. So like whoever has the most items like gets this card, and then and whoever has that card at the end of the game gets six points. Whoever you know, and that's like an example of a like leader. Whoever's leading in a certain category gets like points, and then they also have like an end game card. Which is you know, whoever has the highest, you know, whatever, the yeah, end of the game. Whoever has the most items. Or most goons or whatever. Yeah. At the end of the game, they get points. And then there's an instant, which is like whoever's the first person, they get like five goons. Or the first person to build seven items or whatever it is, they get points. So that's kind of like a ticket to ride kind of make. Both those are like ticket to ride, yeah. like the longest line kind of thing. So it's just another thing to like be going for during the game to get some like points at the end, some like bonus points, you know, either immediately or, or at the end. Um, and it also adds like replayability, right? Because like the um, cards that you get are randomly selected. So you might get very different ones, like, you know, every time you play or a different, you know, order of them, arrangement of them. 
Um, and yeah, so at the end of the day, I'd say it's like a worker placement game with this fantasy theme. You're in this prison. You're trying to get victory points. You're trying to like get items and get goons and whoever has the most points at the end of the, the, the game at the end of six rounds is the winner. What did you think about it? Uh, yeah, I liked it. Um, I, it took a long time to play for a game that didn't seem to be that complicated. I agree. That's one thing that I'll say. But it didn't feel, to me, it didn't feel like it, it took did, a long time. You're right. You're right. It didn't feel like it took a long time. Um, but no, I did like it. There, there are a few things. So, you know, like we already said, going into it, I thought this was a game where you're trying to escape. No, you're just trying to build up like the strongest game. Yeah. And then like all the flavor text of why you're trying to do that is completely out of the game. It's not in the game. Yeah. So with that, you know, it kind of cuts the game down to this one section of the storyline. Mm-hmm. And even to that, you get, so this is one kind of critique of the game. You get goons, but the goons, they give you like an immediate resource and they give you points at the end of the game. Yeah. But it's not like they help you in the next round. Like as you are growing, as you're going from round to round, it's not like they're going to help you in the next round because you're growing your gang or anything like that, which I don't even know how that would happen. That, that'd that be a different game totally altogether. Different game. Yeah. But, I, you know, that was one thing where I was expecting the goons to play a role kind of throughout the game and they they don't really do that but they do give you end of game scoring and they do give some of them do give you like resources or those cards what are those cards called in the library uh the tribute cards no. or something like that so in the game if you can't if you go tome, to tome cards, tome cards yeah. yeah so in the game if you go to a location and like brooke said before like the first person gets something the second person gets something and then third and fourth might not get anything Third and fourth get to go to the library, and once they're in the library, after everybody does their actions, they get to take a tome card. The tome cards I thought were like the coolest part of the game. Yeah, and I didn't get nearly enough of them because like they were crazy powerful, like crazy yeah. weird things. Like you know, get to reserve and buy something, or get to like immediately do something, or get extra resources. Like it was, I thought that was like kind of cool. Like yeah. when other games, when you don't, you get blocked out, like you don't get to take your action that you were trying to take. You can have some feel bad moments, but in this game, I was like, "Oh, I get to get a tome card." Yeah. And sometimes I was like, "I'd rather just have this tome card because who knows what you're gonna get." So yeah. I, I thought that part was like kind of cool. Yeah, but I understand true. what you're saying that like you thought the game was gonna be you w- you wish that the game had more like uh like a thematic like yeah elements yeah. But but that's just like that's a small piece of it. Um, all in all, I did really like the game. I. Like you said, it's a worker placement style game yeah. with area control. I would also say there's programming in this game as well because it, in a way that maybe not programming, maybe I use that term a little too loosely sometimes, but I would say that there are turns where I would put guys on different locations and I would have to I would have to get the things in two of those locations to be able to do the thing in the third location. Yeah. And if I got blocked out, I might still get a tome card, but if I got blocked out, I wouldn't be able to do anything with this other guy. So it's programming in the way I mean it's it's programming in the way that you have to choose your strength of your guys in certain areas because their areas are always resolved in numerical order. It's the same like resolution every single time. Like you go to different places in the same set order. And so in order to get like something that's like the fifth place you visit, you might have to have a high strength or a guaranteed way to win like area two and area four, yeah. let's say. Yeah. So I guess it's programming in that way. And that's one cool part of the game is that like, 
you have like these six guys to put out, but you can put two of them face down. Yeah. And so that it's makes it so stressful. <laughs> it's very stressful. It feels like a very stressful game. Yeah. And that stress is added to by the fact that when you go to certain areas, you have to take these suspicion cubes, mm, which is yeah. this is a little bit like Lords of Waterdeep, where the there's the same kind of mechanic in that. And then when there's not cubes to place out, there's like a raid. Whoever has the most cubes, they lose eight points, which is a lot of points to lose. So that makes it super stressful because you want to give away your suspicion or do whatever you can not to get it. Yeah. And Lewis kept giving his to you like yeah. the entire game. <laughs> yeah, he did. But hey, I won, so <laughs> it was okay. Um, yeah, you did. You crushed. You you beat Lewis and you crushed me. So. Yeah, well, I think it's it's another one of those games where you really have to make the most of every round. There are only six rounds. This is similar to like Tricarion when we were talking about you only have so many rounds and each round you really have to try to do something with each of your guys in each space to end up to where you can buy something in that same round. Yeah. Um, you can't like prepare this round for next round necessarily because then you've just missed out on a ton of points that round if you're not able to buy an item or goons or, or anything like that. Unlike, unlike Tricarion though, I felt like in this game... Um, it was much simpler, much less oh, complicated, God, much yes. more streamlined. I felt like we could have, like, I felt like a few times we were taking inordinate amounts of times to make these stressful decisions. But I, I felt like if we played this game two, three, four times, it would be much faster than the way yeah. you play it now because you immediately know what everything does. You can just, like, it's the same resolution yeah. every time. My concern with the game is I don't know if there's multiple paths to victory, meaning. I think you got to build a lot of items to yeah. get the points to win the game. The items are definitely what did it for me. I don't think you cannot build, and that's fine. Like the yeah. game, maybe the point of the game is to build the items, right? Yeah. Well, but, same thing with Tricarion. The point of the game is to perform the magic tricks. It is, but I, I, I feel like, I feel like it would be hard to win this game if you went light on items and went heavy on tome cards and heavy on goons. You know, the goons give you points for like set collection, but you can only get a certain amount every round, yeah, right? That's true. So I I don't yeah. I don't that's to me is it feels it feels a little bit limiting in like my attempts to like try like strange and unusual like strategies, yeah. you know? Um because I don't know if like any of them would, you know, would like pan out. Like what if every round I just got four goons? So by the end of the game I had twenty because you can get four. If you spend the X number of resources, like, yeah, I don't remember true. how many resources it is, but four. it's like a lot, right? If you're the first person there with the most power, you can spend four resources to get two goons, I think. I think you can get four, right? Is oh, it, can't no. you get four? Is like the maximum you can get? Or is two the maximum? I thought it was two. I think it's two. See, I think we got one and two every time, but I think we spent like one or two resources. I think if you spend four resources... You can get more. I could be wrong. I don't. We nobody did it. We never did yeah, it. Yeah, we never did it. But. but like, I don't. I don't think you could win the game by getting you know twenty four goons or twelve goons, whichever it is, because six rounds times two would be twelve. Like twelve goons, they don't. Like you said they don't do enough to like. I don't think help you unless yeah, you got it, the set collections. Like unless you, right? You you know, you which makes me want to try it. <laughs> if you just got the dwarves and, and the rat men, there was another one. Yeah, yeah the rat men. Yeah. If you just got those, but then all it takes is somebody else to grab one and block you out of it, being able to complete that full set. Um, but 
I'll also say that, so yeah, maybe. And it's also the, random that they might not come out. Right, exactly. Yeah, they might not come out. Um, you also have to have the strength to to get those. You have to have the most power in that location to get them for the best price every round, which means you're putting down all of your strong guys in that location every time. But then, like, going back to the, you know, placing things face down. That's where it gets so stressful because it's like if somebody puts two face down in that location, it could be a two and a three. But I, if I want to be the first person to go there, I'm definitely putting my five and four down. Like I think the in, strongest. I think in this know. game, the first player marker is like more important in this game than like any game. Like being that first player, being able to put your stuff first. Or like waiting to the end to put your stuff down. I think it. I think it helped me because you're the first player for so long in the game. Ninety nine. And I was the last player, and I got to see what you and Lewis were doing, Mm -hmm. and then I was able to make a decision based on that. I just kept going the first player because I wanted to get my enforcer strength up, which I did. I got it like super high up. It was like nine, I think. Yeah, it was crazy. It didn't really help me as much as I was thinking it would. Yeah. I did help me win some battles that I wouldn't have won normally because, like, I could put my enforcer and like the five down, and it would be like eleven power, or, like or some you know some crazy yeah. high power. Um, but I liked the game way more than I thought. When I got the game, I got the game because it, it won a bunch of awards and like I knew it was worker placement. I played role player, so this is like a same game. Same, this is a game made by the same company that made role player, and that game was like really popular. And I played it, and I thought it was pretty good. And so I was like, oh, I want to try this game out. Um, again, when I bought it, I thought like, oh, it's like escaping from a prison. Yeah. Not that that like, matters <laughs> or whatever, because, you know. But uh, I actually was like didn't – I like liked it way more than like I thought I would after we played it. Because yeah. it's one of those games where when we played it, I immediately thought like, oh, I want to play that again. I think I can do better. I want to try out something different. I want to play it again. And I was thinking about it like – the next day, like thinking about like, oh, I want to play that again. To me, that's like a sign of a game that I really want to explore more. Um, and so I liked it uh, a lot. I also like the the three dimensionality, like how the board looked like three D, like the different locations. Yeah, the board looks really cool. Yeah. yeah, and the art was good. I mean, I'm not like I don't really. It's not my favorite like theme, like the fantasy monster trolls and dwarves yeah, and all that. Here. I'm not really like I don't really care about that, but. The actual art was like colorful and vibrant, and like yeah. it was a high quality. The components, know? the the tray where you keep your your guys. That was a nice touch. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think. And honest, and I'd also be interested to play with the advanced mode, where your players, right, like, your guys have a special ability. Uh, yeah, I should we point out that, that we just played with the yeah. basic mode. We didn't play with the advanced mode where your gang each starts out in a different having different resources or a different ability or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um I would definitely like to try it out with that. I just thought for the, you know, first time playing it, it would be good to go to Yeah, always. Basic and just see. Um because it did take a while. It did. It, did. Even with it took players, longer than yeah. It took longer than I thought it was going to take. Yeah. But it, again, it didn't feel like it when we were done, and I was like, "Oh, that was like two hours." I was like, "What?" It didn't. Yeah. I think because your turn is like you know pretty str- simple. Like you just put your guys where you want to go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's not a ton. Yeah. It's not like you put your guys where you want to go, and, and then, then you have to calculate all this other and, stuff. Right, right. Yeah. It's nothing like that. Like, oh yeah, I blocked yeah. you because you can't go there. Da, da, da. It's yeah. like You can go wherever you want. Really. The only the only area for like analysis paralysis is if somebody like just went to the spot that you were planning planning on going to 
how much um, you're gonna how do. much you're gonna throw in or if you're trying to deduce what they've already played and what they have left so that okay i know he's already played his like five four three and his power guy his enforcer yeah then maybe i know that i can go here safely <laughs> with the five there are sometimes when i would like put out all my guys face up and i had two face down like two guys left and i'd be like if I put them face down, everybody's just going to deduce like what they are anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. like so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but I like that part of the game. It didn't make it stressful, but it made I, it, I like that part. It definitely of the game. made it more interesting. And, mm-hmm. and it did add this like uh, almost like a poker element of like Completely. bluffing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't know what somebody has in their hand in this one location. So you're going to go hard on your power if you want to, if you want to get something there. <laughs> yeah. And I think the game is like, it's almost like a, it's almost as light as like a gateway game. Yeah. But just a little bit like a little bit more, like a couple like mechanics more. But I tell you, man, I swear it's one of these games like there was a period of time where like me and Michael Burns and Gavin were playing Yato like every weekend. And that's a really long, like pretty complex game. And we could like burn through that game, man. Like we, cause we knew all the cards. We knew like every, every look at, you know, yeah. and this game is like way easier than that game. And I swear to this game, if we played it like three or four times, we could get it down from that two hours. I know we yeah. could. No, I, I, I don't have any doubt about that because I think on the box, it's a 90 minute play time. Yeah. 90 I feel minutes. like we could definitely get it down to easily 90 minutes, hour, 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, if we played it enough, even less. So, oh, I should say, um, give credit where credit's due, right? As they say in Clerks. So it was designed by Stan Kordonsky with art by J.J. Arosia and Lucas Ribeiro. It's for one to five players, which is nice. We're always looking for five-player games, right? It has a, a playtime, an advertised playtime of 45 to 90 minutes. It took us way longer, but we also are slow. Um, and it came out in 2019, and it's called Lock Up, A Role-Player Tale. So again, it's in the series of games, um, the role player games. The next one after this, I think, was Cartographers, which is a roll and write game, and they also got a lot of acclaim um, for the year that that came out. So that's pretty much it for Lock Up, a role player tale. Anything else you want to say about it, or no? I'm good. Would you play it I'm, again? Yeah, I would play it again, and I'd be interested to see if a Coliseum game comes out after this to finish up the the storyline. Story yeah. Maybe, although I don't know if like this one, I don't know if this one like ties into role player like story wise. Maybe it does. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so that was this um, episode of Board Game Cinema. We talked about Cool Hand Luke. We talked about Lock Up. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank my co-host Brooks for letting me come over to his house on empty and. <laughs> Co-hosting Spending the, po- the night because <laughs> co-host, you can't drive home. Co-hosting the podcast um, yet again. And um, you know, check us out on like Facebook and Instagram. We have a webpage. Um, you know, send us an email, um, Ryan at Morgancinema.com. Um, I think is the email address. <laughs> I don't know. Like message us on Instagram <laughs> or Facebook or something. Like, let us know, you know, we send this out into the void and like, let us know that someone listened and said, Hey, you guys suck. Or, Hey, we liked it. Whatever. Um, if you get an opportunity, we would appreciate it. And anything else you want to say in closing? I'm just going to keep asking that over and over again. No, I'm good, Ryan. I think I'm, I think I'm all set. What do you want to, <laughs> what do you want to watch next week? No, I'm just kidding. So yeah, we'll be back with another episode in a week or two. Um, again, this is Ryan. This is, you're listening to Borgen cinema 
and have a good night. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Got to get the last word in. That's right. <laughs> Got to get the last word in. <laughs> So that was episode 27 of Borgain Cinema. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Brooks for letting us record at his house and <laughs> being such a good co-host. Um, you can always find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook page for Borgain Cinema. We also have t-shirts, etc. for sale at redbubble.com. So yeah, thanks again for listening. Hope everybody enjoyed it. It was sure it was fun making it. Thanks.